This morning's message, um, how many of you play golf? Not many. See, I'm not much of a golfer either. I was hoping more of you would, would golf because then you're really going to like this illustration. But I remember one of the first times I went to play golf. And uh, I had mini golfed many times, but this is one of the first times I went out on the long ranges. And I was golfing with some friends. And they would get up there, they would swing that... Um, Club, that's the right word for it. See how much I, they'd swing the club and the ball would go flying. And I thought, I bet I can do that. So I get up there and it's my turn to, to and I am going to hit it hard. Now, many of you know what's going to happen. The harder I tried to hit that ball, the flatter and worse it would fly. And I would get, be like, all right, I guess I didn't hit it hard enough last time. So I'm like, wham, and I swung as hard as I could and just bump, 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 it would bounce along. And I don't know exactly how far, I guess 75, 100 yards at the most. And my buddies would get up there and they would whack at it and it'd go flying 150. I was just like, man. And then one of them comes to me and he says, it's not how hard you hit it. It's how you hit it. And so they went and showed me the proper way to, you know, to do it and when to, to flick my wrist and how to go about it. And I went through and I wasn't pushing as hard this time, but I was following their instructions. And I hit it and it was like magic because that ball didn't bounce across the, the green like all the previous ones that I had put so much effort into. But when I did it right, it just kind of launched I don't remember what my score was. I'm sure it wasn't impressive, but it was a whole lot better than it would have been if I hadn't learned the right way to do it. And I think many of us go about our Christian lives similarly. And we just have this idea that if we just try hard enough, we're going to get it right. And so we are putting effort in, but we're not looking to Scripture to see the how. And so we're out there just like I was, just whacking at that ball as hard as we can, wondering why it ends up in the, the weeds and why it just barely launches. And There's an interesting verse in Luke chapter 17. I'm going to read 33, and then I'll go back and read 32. It says, 33 says, Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. In other words, sometimes what you're trying to do is the opposite of what you succeed at. And it says in verse 32, it says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. Now, how many of you remember Lot's wife? Remember which story, Bible story she was? Lot's wife is the woman who was turned into a pillar of salt. And... I remember hearing that story as a little kid. And if you recall correctly, the, the, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah was a wicked city. God uh, purposed to destroy that city. And Abraham said, if there's anybody righteous there, would you save it? If there were 50, if there were... And he keeps moving around the number and turns out there weren't that many people. But there was Lot's family. And so God sent an angel 
a couple of angels who then guided Lot out of the city before it was destroyed, and the angel told them, don't look back. She looks back, and she turns into a pillar of salt. Now, my picture of this in my mind as a little kid was kind of like an action movie. You ever notice that scene in an action movie when like the house or the bus or the whatever is going to blow up and the action hero is like walking away and like they never turn back. And like the explosion is happening behind them and they're just like too cool to even bother to look at it. And they're just like looking straight forward, you know, slow motion. And she turned back and I thought, you know, if it was me, I don't know if I could avoid looking at the fireworks. You know, why was it such a big deal? But when we look at the Amplified Version, I think it explains it better. It says, but Lot's wife from behind him foolishly and longingly looked back towards Sodom in an act of disobedience, and she became a pillar of salt. It wasn't that she just happened to glance back because there was a loud boom. What was that? But she looked back wishing for that. She was longing for it. Matthew 10, 37 says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It has to do with priorities. It has to do with priorities. If you remember, picture that, that verse right there, whoever loves father and mother more than me. Can you imagine if, if Jesus was here today and he said that? Do you remember the, the, the context is a man who came to Jesus and said, hey, I want to be your disciple. What do I got to do? And Jesus says, leave your father and mother and come with me. Just leave everything you have and follow me. And he says, well, let me bury my parents first. And then Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Like, this guy just wants to go to his mom and dad's funeral. Or so it would seem. But actually, his parents weren't dead. When he said, let me bury them, you and I wouldn't use that term. We only talk about our parents' burial after they die. But at that time, what that meant was, when my parents have passed and I have buried them, when my parents are no longer with me, so 10 years from now, 15 years from now, basically he said, oh, I want to be your disciple, but I got about 15 years worth of stuff I want to do first. And that's when Jesus said, if you love your father and mother more than me. Now, if that was today, the news media would have come out front page news. Jesus won't let man uh, attend his parents' funeral. But that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus wasn't saying that you can't uh, be a good son or daughter to your parents. Think about this. The day that Jesus was crucified, literally while he was nailed to the cross, he paused, and it says in John 19, 26, it says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to her, woman, here is your son. What he was doing was, was establishing for his mother and 
for his disciple, hey, you take care of her, understand he's going to take care of you. So Jesus, during the few hours that he was on the cross, took time out to be a good son to his mother and make sure she was taken care of. There's nothing wrong with being a good child. But, but what was the key? Who loves father or mother more? That is a word of priority. Priority. See, Jesus is, is showing us something. He says it's about the priorities. A lot of times we think that the thing that is going to derail us is going to be a very crazy, wicked, scary thing. I remember seeing a road sign that said, odds of dying in a car accident. And it was like one in, I don't remember the number, it was like one in 2,000 or one in 6,000. Odds of dying from cigarette smoke. One in four. A car accident with twisted metal and broken glass just sounds scary. Most of us have more concern about the, those things. But oftentimes, it's something far less scary sounding. The Bible talks about the man who sowed a seed and how it grew up. And how the weeds came and choked out God's word. Do you remember what he said? Choked out God's word? What he compared those weeds to? Was it twisted metal, broken glass, a demon with a really scary name? What did he call it? The cares of this world. What are the cares of this world? Twisted metal, broken glass, is it something really... No. What's for lunch? What's for lunch? How am I going to pay my electric bill? That's the cares of this world. It's those little things. Is it wrong to think about those things? No. But they were in the wrong priority when they were out of place. I used this illustration not long ago, but I, I'm going to use it again. How many of you remember the story I told about the watermelon plant? Oh, good. I can tell it again. All right, so when, when I was growing up, my parents had a big garden. When I say big, it was about, well, not quite the size of this sanctuary, but close, probably 75% the size of this sanctuary. And our job was to weed the garden. And my parents taught me what the weeds looked like and what the plants looked like. Hey, this is what a corn plant looks like. This is what a green bean plant looks like. This is what watermelon looks like. This is what uh, green peppers look like and tomatoes. And, and so I knew what good plants looked like. And one year, we planted a nice, neat row of string beans, maybe two rows, of string beans right where the previous year we had watermelon. So it was my turn to go down there and weed, and I'm out there, I'm pulling up weeds, and, and I'm, I know what the weeds look like, and right there in the middle of the, water, or the green beans, I see a plant that I recognize. It wasn't a weed. It was just an itty-bitty watermelon plant. So instead of pulling out that, like I was pulling out the other weeds, I thought, hey, that's a good plant. I'll just leave it right here next to the green beans. Now, if you're not familiar with 
botany, watermelon plants have leaves like the size of your face. They're huge. And so when that vine grew up and all those huge leaves sprouted out, it completely covered the green bean plant. And all the string beans that we were planting, to have my, I say we, my mom was planting it. I was just following orders, I thought. The green beans that we were expecting didn't grow. Now, was there something wrong with the watermelon plant? It wasn't a wicked plant. It was in the wrong place. See, we do that with the cares of this world. We do that with Jesus when he was talking to that man and talking about how he loved his family more. When that man put his family in priority over following God. When he said, oh yeah, sure, I'll be your disciple. Just give me 10, 15 years before so that I can be with my parents until they die. And then, and Jesus said, no, you've got your priorities wrong. Many of us look at our situations and we're thinking, okay, my priority, it's not a bad thing. Caring about my kids is not a bad thing. Wanting to raise money, have money in my in my bank account so that I can pay my bills is not a bad thing. Having food on the table is not a bad thing. But where are they in the priority? Because if they get out of whack, then you're, you're busy doing something that isn't bad. But it's out of place. And you're just whacking away. Why can't I succeed? Where is God's blessing on what I'm doing? Genesis chapter 22, verse 15. It's the story of Abraham. God told Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. You are going to have descendants like the stars of the sky. He had him look up and look at all the stars with zero light pollution going on. All of those stars, he says, you're going to have that many descendants. And then Abraham has one kid. To his surprise, he has only one that God says this is going to do. He tried all kinds of things. He did crazy stuff to try to, to have more children. But God says, this is your descendant, and I'm going to bless you through him. Imagine how spoiled that kid was. And then God says to him, hey, you know that plan that I have for your life? You know that child through whom... Everything I've promised you is coming. I want you to take him to a mountaintop and sacrifice him. His priority. He thought he was doing what God wanted by, you know what, if he's going to be the father of men, I better take really good care of this kid. He goes up there. He's ready to obey. Verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. That because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and your descendants. In other words, Abraham was ready to obey and God says, stop. You don't need to sacrifice your son here. In fact, theologians tell us the very place that he went to sacrifice his son is where God sacrificed his son. It's interesting that in that very place, Jesus was crucified. 
God said, you don't have to. I wanted to know you were willing to obey. I wanted to know your priorities were right. And now I will send my son. He says, because you did this. Verse 15 says, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand and the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Going through life without God's blessing on our efforts to me, it's, it's like trying to golf while like just bouncing across the green. There is a better way. God wants to bless what we're doing. And the Bible says that blessing comes on the other side of obedience. And obedience, in many cases, is simply a matter of priority. Look at Solomon, King Solomon. Now, if you grew up in, Bible, or in, in, in Sunday school, Solomon was famous for a couple of things. One of them was his colossal mistakes. He was a womanizer, to say it lightly. But, one of the most famous successes he had came uh, here, and this is the story of his success. You see, Solomon was named king. His, he's, he's just stepping in to his reign. And God offers him a blank check. He says, says, verse 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Imagine that. Imagine that you get a blank check from God. He says, ask me anything. And Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and given him a son to sit on his throne this very day himself. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, but I am only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. What was Solomon's answer? He said, you've offered me anything. I'm asking that you would give me wisdom so that I can complete the task you have given me effectively. When Solomon could ask for anything, his priority was God's call on his life. Verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since... You have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice. I will do what you have asked, and I will give you a wise heart and discerning heart, 
So there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will also give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings, and you will walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commandments as David your father did. I will give you a long life. Solomon, we can, we can picture. Solomon was up, continuing our golf analogy, he's there. He's about to shoot. He had the option. He could have done it. He could have said, hey, for me, I want to be the richest king that ever lived, the most powerful king that ever lived. I want to live the longest. I want to, he could have done that in his own efforts, prioritized himself and swung at that as hard as he could. But instead, he put God's call first. And he said, give me wisdom so that I can complete what you have given me to do. And God says to him, hey, your priority's in the right place. So, not only am I going to give you what you asked for, but I am going to bless you in all the ways you could have asked for. Proverbs 21, 21 says, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. See, God has a recipe for success. And it has to do with the setting of our priorities. We think, oh, I have to avoid all of this and I have to do all of that. But God says, seek ye first. See, the key is priority. And when we give. We're there. We think, oh, I've got to, in order to have the most, I have to take the most. I have to swing as hard as I can. That's not true. The Bible says, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life. Blessed are those who hunger. Over and over, even the world recognizes this. There's a Chinese proverb that says this. It says, if you want happiness for an hour, Take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. See, for centuries, even the world has understood that there is power in giving. Francis of Assisi said it is for it is in giving that we receive. Leo Tolstoy said, the sole meaning of life is to serve humanity. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Nobel Peace Prize recipient Mohammed Yumus said, making money is a happiness. Making other people happy is a super happiness. Here comes one, see if you can guess who said this. Giving back is as good 
for you as it is for those you are helping. Because giving gives you purpose. When you have a purpose-driven life, you're a happier person. Goldie Hawn. <laughs> no one was going to guess that one. I say that because the world, high and low, all around, even they understand these things. Time Magazine put out an article, and they said this. They said, scientific research provides compelling data to support the anecdotal evidence that giving is a powerful way to personal growth and lasting happiness. Through fMRI technology, we now know that giving, giving to others activates the same part of the brain that is stimulated by food and sex. Giving to others. They say experiments show evidence that altruism is hardwired into the brain. It is pleasurable. Helping others may just be the secret to living a life that is not only happier, but also healthier, wealthier, more productive, and meaningful. And the Bible's been saying this all along. Given it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. God said, put me first. Luke 12, 29 says, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you as well. It's about priorities. Getting God's purpose. And here's the thing. God's purpose is going to include others. Solomon asked for wisdom to rule his people. If we continue to read about it, we hear the impressive stories of how he used that wisdom to solve issues for the people. The story, there's a story in Luke chapter 10, 38. Two sisters. Jesus went to their house. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. This is Martha in her own effort just trying to do everything. She says, man, Jesus, aren't you upset? She isn't working as hard as I am. And Jesus responds. Listen to what he says. He said, but few things are needed. That's good news. I mean, how many of us, the, there are books and shelves and, and so many self-help books written. And we get the idea that the recipes for success must be ultra, super long, and complicated. 
But God says, few things are needed. Everybody just take a, a, a relaxing. <sighs> few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken from her. See, Mary sought Jesus. She sought to know him, to hear him, to be close to him. Our relationship with God, that is number one. Seek first the kingdom. What's for lunch? How to earn money? All of those things, they're not bad. But if we put those things in first place, if when we get our check, our first thought is nothing to do with God, we say, you know what, God? If there's anything left over, then I'll tithe. If that's our mindset, if when we look at our time, we say, you know what, God? If there's anything left over, you can have it. If, if we look at, at our lives and we, and we treat God that way, and then we're surprised that it's so much work and it's so hard. And God, God said, but few things are needed, indeed only one. It's a matter of priority. Mark 8.36 says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What if, what if you make all that money? Will you be happy then? If you're wondering, I have some homework for you. Go to the grocery store. Find one of those magazines on the side there with all the rich people in it. Just look at the title. Do they look happy? I haven't seen what it is today. Somebody's getting a divorce. Somebody's running off. But they have money to spare. They're not happy. That's not going to make you happy. Happiness, you can be happy with money. You can be happy without it. That's not going to be the success. Jim Elliott, famous missionary, went to uh, Ecuador. They went to reach a tribe of cannibals, a group that was so violent that within their own tribe, I think 60% of people or more died of murder. Murder was the number one cause amongst themselves. Other tribes had tried to interact with them. They would kill them. They're, they were just very, very isolated. And they took it upon themselves to reach that group. Um, Through the Gates of Splendor is the book written by his wife about what happened. But he and a couple of other missionaries, they went, finally made contact with that group of people. He was killed by the very people he was trying to reach um, because of what he did. Um, they were able to make contact later, and his wife 
was able, with the help of some other um, people from that tribe, to reach that tribe for the gospel. And I, I had the privilege when, when I was in college of actually meeting some of the men who killed him, who are now Christians and who were traveling with his son. This is what he said. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. His priority, what he, he's saying the same thing. He says, what good does it do you to gain the world and lose your soul? There are things that matter and there are things that don't. We often get them confused. Priority, if you could have just one thing, what would it be? What would it be? Where are our priorities? When we put the fulfillment of, of God's call and purpose on our lives, when we say, you know what, pleasing you, Lord, is my number one priority. It is miraculous what comes, how his blessing comes. We've, we've talked about how obedience to God's call, obedience to God's word, unleashes the supernatural. I don't want to do life by myself. I don't want to be the sole driving force behind the success of my life, of my family, of my children's family. I want God's blessing supernatural blessing on my family. How many of you want that same thing? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you. It's about my priorities. If I try to do it all in myself, I'll get somewhere, but I'll be doing it without his blessing, without his full supernatural blessing. That's not how I want to live my life. I want his blessing. Matthew 6, 31 through 34 says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In Revelations chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus is speaking to a particular church, and he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned your first love. I don't want that to be what God sees or says when he looks at me. One of the keys to a supernatural Christian walk is setting our priorities right. How many of you have ever <clears throat> been using, let's just, it's the TV remote, you know, and it just, you put something together and it just doesn't work. And then you pull it apart and you realize the battery's wearing backwards. Anybody ever done that? Worked at something forever and then you realize, wait a minute, oh, 
the batteries were in backwards. It seems like no big deal. No big deal. But when our priorities are out of line, that's what it's like. It's like trying to function with the batteries put in wrong. I can use the remote to change the channel with the batteries in backwards if I walk up to the TV and poke the buttons with the remote. <clears throat> there is a way. But it's designed to work so much better. I can do it right from the couch if I have the batteries put in right. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and I will add all that else. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one or love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, is God saying he doesn't want you to have money? Is that what this says? It's not what it says. He says, you're going to have a priority. You have to choose one or the other. You need to choose me. And what did he do for, for Solomon when Solomon chose correctly? He said, oh, I'm going to make you the richest on top of. When Abraham obeyed, he was blessed over and over. Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into your lap with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Over and over, there are so many verses that talk about priorities. Philippians 2, 4 says, let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. God says, it's about our priorities. I just want to encourage you that it's not as complicated as it sounds. We're looking at our lives and we're saying, man, I'm striving. I am just whacking away at life with my, my strength as hard as I can. Why are things not going with God's blessing? I want to ask you to just evaluate and say, okay, where are my priorities and then let's go in and flip that battery around. Put it in. Seek first the kingdom of God. And we'll watch as his supernatural blessings comes on you. And that success is not defined by the world's measure, but by fulfilling what God has asked us to do first step in being right with God is accepting his forgiveness. The Bible tells us that every one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. The good news is it doesn't matter how bad. You may have lied. Your neighbor may have embezzled. We don't know. God says he doesn't care. He says our righteousness, our best works are like filthy rags to him. He says you can't be good enough to earn right standing with God. That's why 
he sent Jesus to die. He took the guilt that we have. We are forgiven because he deserved it, not because of us. Your Christian life, it's not a competition about who has the made the smallest mistake. It doesn't matter. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Someone may say, saved from what? Saved from the sin that separates you from God. If you're watching at home today or if you're sitting here in this room with every eye closed so nobody's embarrassed, I want to ask you, if you desire that forgiveness that God offers and you don't know that you have it, you can know today. You can know that your sins are forgiven. I want to ask you right now, just raise your hand and we will pray that prayer. There may be someone watching online that wants to pray with us, so let's Let's pray all of us together with them. Say, dear God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. That he rose from the dead. I accept your forgiveness. I commit to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.